Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, guest hosted by novelist Sarah Archer, we visit with Joni Elliott, author of The Audacity of Sarah Grayson, in which Sarah Grayson, a 32-year-old greeting card writer, is tasked in her mother's will to write the final book in her best-selling suspense series. Despite her lack of confidence, Sarah takes on the project, even with her mother's publisher actively working against her. As family secrets begin to surface, she realizes she may threaten her mother's legacy. Maddie Dawson, best-selling author of Matchmaking for Beginners, had this to say about the book. Joni Elliott has written an enjoyable, funny, page-turning novel about the ups and downs of a woman's quest to find herself and the family she thought she knew. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com. And I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Uh, Today's show is guest hosted by Sarah Archer. Her debut novel is The Plus One. It was published in the U.S., U.K., Germany, and Japan. It's currently in development for television. Uh, She's a Blacklist Screenwriting Mini Lab Fellow who's had material produced for Comedy Central. And the list of, uh, you know, good things to say about Sarah goes on and on. You can find out more about Sarah at our our website because Sarah was on the podcast. That's at charlotteriespodcast.com. And so now I'm actually going to be – oh, before I do that, I need to let you know that after Sarah leads this uh, interview today, we're going to jump over to Patreon and we're going to talk about a topic that's uh, near and dear to both of them. It's – Writing Group Advice uh, with Joni Elliott, and uh, it's going to be co-hosted by Sarah Archer and myself. We're going to dive into that topic, uh, great topic. So now I'm going to be turning over <laughs> the podcast steering wheel to Sarah Archer. Sarah, take it away. Well, thank you, Landis. Thank you so much for having us, and thank you, Joni, for being here. I'm thrilled to talk with you. 
Thank you both for having me here. It's, uh, it's great to be a part of this show. Um, so I absolutely loved reading The Audacity of Sarah Grayson. It was, it was a wonderful read. And even before I got a chance to start it, I was drawn in by the premise already. Um, I feel like you've created sort of a simultaneously a dream situation and a nightmare situation for a writer <laughs> with right. Sarah being in this position where she, you know, as a, a first time writer plucked from obscurity, she's handed a major book deal. She has millions of readers waiting for her work, a huge platform, but she also has the stress of having to please those millions of readers and um, honor her mother's legacy and honor her publisher's wishes and hopefully try to satisfy herself as a writer somewhere in the middle there. Um, how did you come up with the idea for this novel? What was your inspiration for that premise? Well, I was writing, uh, I was teaching writing at the University of Maryland. And I had this dream of writing and publishing a novel. And I reached this point in 2015 where I realized that if I kept teaching writing instead of writing, I would never fulfill that dream. And I have a lot of colleagues who are great at multitasking. They're teaching and writing and doing it well at the same time. But I knew that if I didn't take some leap and go for this dream, it would never happen. So I took this leap. I quit my job and I devoted myself to writing. And that first semester, um, it went from challenging to hard to terrible to agonizing. I had so many starts and stops. And it just, it got sad. And you know, when you start to get distracted as a, as a writer, you start doing all sorts of strange things. Some people bake, some people do yoga. I, I began organizing my entire house, uh, cleaning up my closets, organizing my pantry. I began wandering the stores of the, the, the aisles of the container store. Um, anyway, I had a very clean house and no book. And so I was really feeling sorry for myself, wondering if I had just made the biggest mistake ever. And about four months into this very sad process, I was just kind of crying to myself, a lot of self-pity. And I was in my bathroom. That's a good place to cry. And, and I thought, well, at least nobody cares if I write this book. Nobody truly cares. I had no editor, no agent. Nobody even knew I was writing a book. I kind of didn't really even dare tell people so they wouldn't ask me about it. I, I left it vague. I said, oh, I'm stepping away from the university for a writing project. You know, I left it very vague. And so I thought, well, nobody cares. Nobody even knows I'm writing a book. And I thought, well, well, what would it be like if a lot of people knew, like thousands or or millions? What if what would that be like? And all of a sudden, I just pictured this sad sort of person who had the weight of the world on her shoulders, who had to write this book for for millions of people. And that's when Sarah Grayson was born in my bathroom. It was a home birth with no medication. And, uh, and that's when I first imagined her. And that's when I just started asking a lot of questions. And I knew pretty quickly, I think even that same day that it was her mother who would put her in that situation, who was a famous, famous writer, iconic, and had left her that book. And so that's when things started to come together for me. And that became my book and things started flowing from then. And I, uh, I eventually stopped going to the container store. Nice. Yeah. I think um, every writer could probably write a book about the things we do while procrastinating writing. <laughs> true. Absolutely. Struggle with writer's block, but we're very productive at cleaning the house and doing the So shopping. true. My house is not very organized now, but I have a book. It's better than containers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so one of the other things that was really fascinating to me about the premise for this book was it kind of contains a book within a book in a way. There's, you know, the novel you wrote, The Audacity of Sarah Grayson, but then there's also the Ellery Dawson series, which is the series that um, Sarah's mother, Cassandra, was writing and that Sarah now has to finish off, which is a very different type of book. There are, I guess you would say, thrillers, crime dramas, like high octane, adventurous um, how much work did you do to develop that series within this book? Like how far did you actually go in plotting those stories out, figuring out the characters, kind of writing this separate series within it? That's a great question, Sarah. And actually nobody's asked me that yet. Um, I actually had to plot out all five Sarah Grayson books and, and do a, a basic sketch skeleton of each one, who the main characters are, what happens in each one. Um, so that I knew in book five what she sort of needed to mess with and figure out. Um, and also, my husband is just saying, you've got to write the Ellery Dawson books at some point. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm not really a suspense thriller writer. And he's like, you could become one. We want we want those books. And, and I've even had some readers say, well, I want to read Ellery Dawson book five now. And so anyway, but I did. Um, Ellery actually has a great story and at different um, through different drafts of Sarah Grayson, there was more of Ellery's story in there. There were excerpts of her story. I like books within books, you know, like fangirl and she has a, a great story within her, her story that she has actually published. But um, yeah, I, I had to think through it and have it be clear. And I wanted, I wanted Ellery Dawson's story to have some ties to Sarah's story so I had to really be clear, even if the reader didn't know, I had to have it clear in my mind so that it would have some impact in Sarah's life and in the, the arc of her character and in the story itself. I love that. Yeah, I could I could really feel that coming through how well developed these characters were. And I'm I'm right there with that other reader. I would love to read the Ellie Drossen books, too. So if you ever decide to do a spinoff, I'm there. <laughs> um, I love it. Thanks. One of the other things that was a lot of fun for me in reading this was the quotes. So at the beginning of every chapter, you have a quote by a writer about writing. Um, and I pulled out a few of my favorites here just to share. Um, from Thomas Mann, you have a writer is someone for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. Very true. Um, from Zadie Smith, every moment happens twice, inside and outside, and they are two different histories. And from Elmore Leonard, when you write, try to leave out all the parts readers skip. <laughs> so there is a great kind of mix of wit and wisdom and philosophy in these quotes. Um, they were a lot of fun. How did you find these? How did you kind of decide which quotes you wanted to put throughout the book as you were doing that? You know, as I was doing this deep dive into writing Sarah Grayson, it was a deep dive into the craft of writing fiction for me again. I had studied creative writing in my master's program 15 years prior to this. So it had been a while. And so I was, I was diving into this again. I wanted to, I wanted this book to be the very best it could be. And for me, that was revisiting this craft and learning all that I could about it again and reading every good book I could get my hands on. It was just a good novel. Um, obviously good writers are good readers and also the craft books too. And so I just started collecting my favorite quotes. And I was also just, I love podcasts that are about writers and writers talking about their work like this one. And so I, and I would just start, I just started collecting quotes, tons and tons of quotes. And so they're just meaningful to me. They're inspiring to me. And so 
I had a lot at the very end and it was just choosing um, some of the most inspiring ones to me and, and the ones that fit Sarah's journey. And, and they're, they're chosen for each chapter too, with what's happening. And so they inspire me. There are ones I needed um, because like Sarah, I was struggling with the book and I was struggling with writing. And so they speak to me and to Sarah. Definitely. Um, and one of the other quotes that you had in there that was, was really interesting to me was one from John Green. Um, he said, writing is something you do alone. It's a profession for introverts who want to tell you a story, but don't want to make eye contact while doing it, which is, which is such a great line. Um, but it was also really interesting to me that you chose that one within the context of this book, because so much of the book, I think, is about kind of the communal or collaborative nature of writing. You know, you have Sarah, who is... Um, following this individual journey and finding her voice as a writer, but she also has different editors she works with. She has a writer's group she visits. Um, she has, you know, there, there's a screenwriter who's adapting books for film and translators who translate them into other languages. And she obviously has other writers in the family who she's working with and using their ideas. Um, even fan fiction is, is brought up in the book, this idea of like a writer taking something from a world created by another author and, and building their own story within that. Um, so I'm curious to know about sort of where you fit on that spectrum. Like how do other writers play into your life as a writer and how much of your writing do you think is you just alone in a room writing and how much is involving other people? Well, that's a very insightful question. Um, it's interesting as writers, there's this tension between this work that is so solitary. I mean, we, we do it alone. There's, there's no other way to do it. You know, we are at our computers with our heads doing it and yet it is so <laughs> so social i mean we send it out into the world and we want other people to read it and we ultimately need other people to respond to it to give us feedback we need the editors we need um to listen to other other readers and writers so so that tension between i'm doing this alone and i and i don't want to talk to anybody about it and don't don't give me too much feedback or anything but but this whole wide world that we're, we want to eventually speak to um, is pretty, it's a pretty fascinating paradox, I think. Um, so in, for me personally, um, I, I um, have debated whether I'm an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert. <laughs> I, I definitely recharge by being alone, but I need other people. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I, I feel like um, so much of that is really the heart of kind of what writing is, you know, you're taking these ideas inside your own head that are very internal and you're trying to share them with someone else um, and trying to navigate that kind of bridge between our consciousnesses. So it was, it was a really interesting part of the book to me to see how that sort of played out. Um, but I'd love to pause for a minute here. I think you had a passage you were going to read for us from the beginning of the book, right? Um, so I'd love to let you kind of take it away with that. <laughs> Okay, so this is just right from the beginning, and to uh, just set the scene, it's the world premiere of the first Ellery Dawson book. So they've made a movie of it. And so this is uh, Sarah, chapter one, and it starts with a Stephen King quote. Writing is not life, but I think that sometimes it can be a way back to life. She refused to be triggered by breakfast food, so she went straight for the waffles. Real Belgian ones made of yeast dough, not batter. She'd eaten two of them already, hot bronzed waffles with Nutella and strawberries and vanilla bean ice cream. There were times to avoid your triggers, 
and times to chew them up slowly and deliberately. Plus, eating was preferable to small talk, not that anyone would want to talk to her. They were here for Ellery, and Ellery was everywhere. Life-size cutouts of Ellery and her family stood proudly next to Belgian flags and clusters of bright red poppies. Since Ellery's family was stationed at the embassy in Brussels, it was an obvious design choice, but achingly unoriginal. Elegant black and gold streamers hung loosely across high ceilings. A new house chocolatier table crowned the center of the room with pralines, truffles, and dark chocolate medallions stamped with Ellery's portrait. Caps of Belgian beer flowed into frosty mugs with Ellery quotations about gifts and potential and other ridiculous ideas. It was a smashing tribute to someone who didn't actually exist. Sarah unwrapped an Ellery chocolate and quickly bit her head off. A clean snap is a sign of excellent chocolate, she'd read once. She let it melt slightly in her mouth before she chewed and swallowed. She unwrapped another medallion and bit the heads off several more, leaving a pile of unfinished chocolate torsos on her plate. For 300 bucks an hour, her therapist, Sybil Brown Baker, might diagnose this as passive aggressive behavior. Or was it misplaced anger? Sybil Brown Baker sent a pamphlet home last week, How We Transfer Feelings of Shame and Pain. Sarah read it word for word and returned it the next day with her editing feedback, all free of charge, bad semicolons, comma splices, and sentence fragments. She didn't teach freshman English for nothing. She just earned next to nothing for now. Her freelance work with Cozy Greeting Cards International was poised to take off. They loved her work and thought she had a real knack for cancer cards, and could she please send more? A jazz band performed painfully slow Michael Buble covers while Sarah opened another chocolate. Her older sister, Annakath, waved at her from the waffle bar. She chatted happily with a screenwriter Sarah had met earlier. Was this their 10th movie premiere or 11th? Their mom was nowhere to be seen. She was probably talking to reporters. At least they were done walking the red carpet, that veritable tripping hazard all lit up with flaming torches. Fans shouted their mother's name, Cassandra Bond, like they didn't get out much, and shot their arms over crowd barriers with Ellery Dawson books for her to sign. Didn't they know they could save $3.99 on their ebook? I love that. That's so fun. Um, you get so much of Sarah's personality right away in those first few pages. It's a very strong character for sure. Um, one thing that, that is mentioned in there is the references to Brussels. And that was something that really stood out, stood out to me when I was reading this was the kind of geography of the book. You cover a lot of territory in terms of the settings. There's you know, references to Belgium and Croatia. There are parts of the book that take place in England, New York City. I think they go to Maine, Maryland. Um, how did you pick the settings for this book? Are these places that have kind of some kind of personal significance for you? Well, I was living in Maryland when I wrote most of the book, and so it felt like a great place to begin the novel. And Sarah is from Bethesda, Maryland, and that's where she grew up. Um, Maine is where we hit, were vacationing every summer, and it's such a peaceful, beautiful place. So I wanted her to be able to connect uh, to, to that place. And I feel like nature is just such an important part of our creative process. Um, Sarah ended up being her her parents or her father is from London, so that felt like a great connection there. I love doing um, research there. And what's interesting about um, so Sarah was born in the East End of London, and I had been to London before, but I'd never been to the East End, and so I'd done a lot of research 
uh, about where she was from and where her father was from. And, but I'd still not been there. And I'd, I'd actually finished a full draft of the novel before I'd been to the East End. And I was just hoping that when I got there, that it would be as magical and wonderful as I had made it out to be in my story. Um, because it's, it's a lot different than the West End and some of the other parts that I'd been to. And I was so happy when I'd finally arrived there and did some research there to find that it was everything that I had hoped that it would be. And it is such a, it's full of street art and a lot of artists, very diverse cultures there. The food is the best in London and I think in the East End. And it's just a place of a lot of resilience. And so anyway, I, that was, that was a really wonderful part of my research in, in the book. Yeah, the book made me want to travel for sure. <laughs> I wanted to visit all of these places. Um, so it's interesting to hear a little bit about your kind of personal background and where you've lived. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about sort of your writing background. Um, with Sarah, obviously, we we see a lot in the book about her journey to, I don't know if it's necessarily become a writer, but at least realize she is a writer, accept and embrace the fact that she's a writer. Um, what's that journey been like for you over the years? You know, I, I went to college and became a middle school English teacher because I loved reading, but honestly, I did not like writing and I had no ambition to ever become a writer at all. In fact, I just thought I was kind of an, a, an English teacher with the dirty little secret, which was I didn't really like writing. So mostly I could commiserate with my students and say, yeah, writing's tough. I mean, I knew it was important and I was good at it, but I, I didn't love it. And it wasn't until I was 28 and back in graduate school that I took a creative writing class, um, a workshop uh, on young adult fiction, kind of on a whim, because I just really loved the professor. And that was when I first, it was my first uh, try at writing fiction. And I discovered I was kind of good at it. And that's when I switched my my emphasis in my master's program to creative writing. And that's when I wrote my first novel. It's a novel I never published, but it's a novel that really taught me a lot. It was a YA, YA novel. And um, from there, you know, I, I ended up not doing much for probably 10 years or so. Um, I would do a little bit here and there, but I was mostly focused on my family and doing other things. I taught piano. <laughs> I, I just was busy and I went back to university teaching and it just didn't, you know, honestly, it didn't feel like my time until that moment where I was like, you know, I really need to, this is something I still want to do. And I got to buckle down and get it done. And so, you know, when I stepped away from the university of Maryland in 2015, I thought I'm just going to take two years. And the book ended up taking me a lot longer than that. It took me about three and a half years. And then by the time I sold it and got it published, it's now been six years. Um, but I have yet to go back to university teaching. I would still love to, but right now I, I have more writing that I want to do. So I'm working on the next book, um, which isn't in the Sarah Grayson world. It's another book, but I have another, I want to, I want to write a sequel to Sarah Grayson. And there's one more um, companion book to Sarah Grayson. I can't say who it is about because it would be a spoiler, but I can tell you Sarah um, after we turn the mic off. So Anyway, it's about, a character you, it's about a character you don't meet until the end of the book. So, but she has a story that I really want to tell, and I sketched her story out. So, yeah. I, think, I think I might know who you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> I'm interested to read it regardless. Um, 
So on kind of a different note, one of the threads that comes up a lot in the book is tea. <laughs> you have Sarah's a tea drinker, a lot of the characters drink tea. Her sister makes these kind of beautiful tea blends with like herbs and fruits and things. Um, am I correct in guessing that you maybe drink tea a lot while you're writing? I have a big fan of herbal tea, mainly. And, um, and what's funny is as I wrote the book, I started drinking more tea. <laughs> and so I even have at my desk right now a, an insulated teapot so I can make a couple of cups and, and have it stay hot while I'm, while I'm in my writing session. But yeah, I, the tea kept sounding better and better. I, I created this sister of Sarah Grayson who's always making these tea blends and I was thinking that sounds really good and then I'd go and try and find some so there's even a little tea shop in Park City Utah that has tea blends that would be like what what Anna Kath Sarah's sister would would make I was taking pictures of them and I was buying some and so anyway yeah now now my family drinks more tea than ever so and we even did a uh, my my publicist did a we were doing a promotion with Bigelow Tea um, and my book so yeah, oh, tea cool. plays prominently, and I do love it. Yeah, you, you've got to have your writing fuel. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Are you a tea drinker, Sarah? I, I'm a coffee drinker who wishes I was a tea drinker. <laughs> I feel like tea is better for you, and I wish that I liked it. And I, I do enjoy it, but usually when I'm drinking tea, I kind of wish I was drinking coffee instead. So, <laughs> But some of the, the blends that um, her sister was making sounded very good. I was like, oh, I, I could be a convert here. That sounds delicious. <laughs> um, so I, I would love to ask just a few more kind of like rapid fire questions about your sort of nuts and bolts of your writing process. Um, I always find that sort of thing interesting. So you're drinking tea. Um, is there like a particular time of day or a place where you like to write? I write best in the morning for sure, even though I'm not an early morning person, but I definitely write the best in the morning, about an hour after I wake up. It's my best best window. Nice. Um, are you writing on paper? Do you use some kind of device? On my computer, definitely. I always have a writing notebook, though, you know, that I'll jot some ideas on, you know, with my pen. So I've always got pen and paper by me, but yeah, fully on computer. Sure. Um, and I'll ask if you're a pantser or a plotter, and you've probably heard those terms, but just in case anyone hasn't, um, a, a pantser is someone who kind of goes by the seat of their pants, they find the story as they write, a plotter usually outlines first. I am a plotter, but I'm open, open to pantsing. So I, I find that as I, as I plot everything out and come up with a really good outline, once I start the actual prose and I'm working through it, I always get surprised. Things always take some different turns than what I had plotted out. And so the plot becomes a good skeleton, a good guide. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just open to the surprises as I, as I work through, I'll be like, Oh, really? I didn't know that you were going to do that. That's very interesting. Thank you for letting me know. And so, yeah, so mostly plotting with a little bit of surprises. Yeah. That's good to leave a little bit of room for surprise and inspiration. I think. Um, do you typically like to focus on one project at a time, or are you someone who juggles multiple writing projects? I'm one novel at a time, for sure. I can handle, you know, a, a nonfiction piece or an essay or something like that. And I'm always, you know, keeping a journal. But um, one, yeah, one novel. Can you do? Can you do more than one, Sarah? I, I, well, I tend to focus mostly on one at a time, but I'll have projects kind of in rotation. So I'll write a draft of something 
put it away, send it to people for notes, work on something else in between, come back to the other one. So I've usually got like maybe two to four things that I'm working on, but not simultaneously, if that makes sense. Very good. Yeah. Um, and another thing that was really interesting to me in the book was this idea of comfort drawers. So um, it's something that Sarah has and some of her family members have where they'll, they'll build a drawer that they fill with kind of like keepsakes, um, objects that have some kind of special memory attached to them, the things that bring them like comfort or nostalgia, um, which was a really beautiful idea. And I was wondering if you were making a comfort drawer, what sorts of things would you put in it for yourself? You know, um, so what kinds of things would I put in it? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you first that I got the idea from Sarah Von Bronick, who wrote Simple Abundance. And I haven't made a, a comfort drawer for myself, but um, I wanted to. And I kind of have a little um, cabinet that does have some comfort things. Um, I would keep some dark chocolate, Dove dark chocolate with almonds. Um, I think I would keep a really soft blanket. I would keep David White's poetry. He's one of my very favorite poets. Um, I think some photos of some of my most favorite places and photos of my, my children. Um, so I think it's words and beautiful places. And, oh, I think some things that smell good. Um, I love essential oils, so I'd probably have some some of my favorite essential oils. There's one called Citrus Bloom. It smells like orange blossoms in Arizona. That's where I was born. So yeah, I think we'd have that. That sounds wonderful. A great collection of memories and appealing to the senses too. Um, so I think we're, we're coming up pretty close in our time here, but before we go, I would love to just ask you, since this is your debut novel, what has that experience been like for you? What's it, what's it been like to have your first novel come out into the world? have been thrilled to finally have it come out there's so much leading up to it that to me it felt a little bit like childbirth for me in that I was so ready to just have this baby <laughs> I just wanted to get this done and have her finally come out and uh, and it's been thrilling I I love this story I'm I know that I'm the one that wrote it and but I I, I grew to love this character and her story and it's one of it's one of creative courage. Mary Oliver said that the most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to do something creative. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, but they're, ones, they're the ones who left, left that rest of an uprising and gave it neither power nor time. And Sarah is one who, who was living a life that, where she was denying herself that. And so I love this, I love the, the story of giving something creative in, her, in oneself power and time. And I feel like when we do that, we're living a fuller, more happy, alive life. And so I, I want people to feel that. Um, and I hope that they do. I hope they find creative courage in, in this story. Yeah, I, I definitely, I think it provides that kind of inspiration for sure. I felt that way. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to jump back in. Um, this has been a great uh, episode. I've enjoyed, uh, listening. Um, when I put this together and was thinking about uh, listeners who could be a a great uh, guest host for this, I, I thought of Sarah because of her book, The Plus One. And if you hadn't read it or listened to her episode, it's uh, speaking of, you know, what ifs. Uh, her, her character uh, doesn't have a boyfriend to take to a wedding, and so she builds one. <laughs> and it creates all kind of problems uh, within the family. And then 
Joni here creates this book where the daughter of this best-selling author has to write, you know, the book. And I'm thinking, these people were made for each other. They come up for the, with these kind of things, you know. Um, and so I just have a couple of questions because, uh, Joni, as I'm listening here, um, you said a couple of things that jumped out at me. One was the fact that it, after you got over the, you know, crying in the bathroom and getting off on the wrong track and finding your way back, you said it took six years to get this thing into the world. And, and I'm, I'm just wondering, um, that's a long time to birth a baby. And I'm just wondering how, how hard that was for you. Uh, are you normally a patient person? Is that uh, something that was difficult for it to take that long to finally get it into the world? You know, I had to really learn patience with the process. And it's something I would repeat over and over again, be patient in this process. And so the actual writing of it took about three and a half years. And but then, yeah, all this time afterwards, trying to find an agent and then trying to sell the book. Um, I think there is this constant resistance that we have to face, I think, in doing any good thing, but certainly in the creative process. I think we all face this voice in the back of our heads that, that says, can, can you really do this? And, and is, is this worth doing? And, and does it matter? <laughs> and are you the one to even be telling this story? And I've, I found Isabel Allende said, show up, show up, show up, and then the muse shows up. And so I really had to come to this point where I really had to believe in the power of small and simple things. That, that doing those small, courageous daily acts of simply showing up and turning on my computer and trying to get that word count in that that would get me to where I needed to go. And I think that that's honestly the, the secret of success in the creative world, in the business world, and anywhere, that if we're willing to, to stand up to that voice in the back of our head that questions us, that, that we can, can get there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I'm not a very patient person, so I would have <laughs> six years <laughs> is a long time to get, yeah. to get a book out. But 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 the other thing that I was thinking about here is that um, this idea that, and it's happened to me and it's probably happened to both y'all and other times too, but you start out with this idea, like you said you probably had, uh, that you're going to go write this book. And the book you ended up writing was not the book you started writing. Can, can you talk about, it, was that a lesson to you in the writing process? Uh as to whether you should go in with it all figured out or whether you should kind of let it unfold? That's a, that's a great question. I, I had a, there's a writer, Joan Bauer. She's a fantastic writer of YA fiction. And she said, whatever words that you end up having to cross out and get rid of lead you to the ones that you keep. And so, and I, I, I believe that. And so, I, so for me, it's whatever process gets you to whatever you keep at the end. And so, you know, um, so for me, plotting something out is the process that works for me, that helps me get to the, the lines and the chapters that I am going to keep. And, and I do need that structure. And so, yeah, there's things that end up changing along the way, but it's the current that process that I follow that ultimately helps me find my way, even though it switches along the way. And I have to say, one of my most favorite, favorite authors in the world is Kate DiCamillo. And she's a children's and yet YA novelist. And she, 
she she wrote one day i she said I'm, i was out taking a walk thinking how my current writing project is a mess just a really really big mess but then i got to thinking it has to be a mess it has to be a mess right now in order for me to get out of the mess and that is just the process of it being a mess and then it being not a mess so i'm writing this down so i can remember that this is the process. <laughs> and I just kept that because I thought that's just it. You know, creating art is messy and that's how we work. <laughs> so anyway, it's comforting to me. And like, like uh, not Sarah Grayson, but Sarah Archer, like Sarah Archer, I like the uh, beginnings of the chapters with the quotes. And you started your reading today with Stephen King. My last question here, which you quoted him as saying, Writing is not life, but I think that sometimes it can be a way back to life. Was that true for you in this particular situation? Yes. You know, I felt in this process a rebirth for me. I feel having gone through this and continuing in this more alive than I have ever felt. And, you know, Nate, the poet Naomi Shihab Nye, she said, no one ever says um, I wrote it down and I didn't feel better. <laughs> you know, we, we usually, there's something powerful about writing it down. Um, whether that's the journal or the story or the, the whatever piece, there's something in us that writing it down, getting it out that way, it does something for us, for our souls. Well, that's great. Well, listen, um, Sarah Archer, not Sarah Grayson. I want to thank you for leading the discussion about Sarah Grayson today. Thank you, Landis. And thank you, Joni. This was a lot of fun. Oh, delighted. To I love you. how, yeah, even as we're talking, you're pulling out these great writing quotes. <laughs> I want to write them all down. Exactly. Well, you can just listen to it again when it comes out. So we're, we're going to jump over in just a second here now to uh, Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. You heard them talking about coffee and tea. You know, for less than the cost of one of those each month, you can come get all this exclusive content, help us support the podcast. And we're going to be talking about writing group advice uh, with Joni Elliott uh, and Sarah Archer. And uh, they have both blogged on it and they both talked about it. So it must be important. And I'm going to be learning as I go. And so this will be fun. Uh, Joni, thanks so much for being on Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Oh, thank you. It's been a delight to be here. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our author's voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.